Chapter Nineteen of the World's Famous Orations, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Famous Orations, Volume One, by Various, Chapter Nineteen. Demosthenes Two on the State of the Chersonesus, Part One. Footnote, delivered in Athens about 342 B.C., or two years later than the second Philippic. Translated by Thomas Leland. Chersonesus is the Greek word for a peninsula. In this oration, Chersonesus Thracia is referred to, the same being the modern peninsula of Gallipoli, lying between the Hellespont and the Gulf of Melis. End of footnote. 342 B.C. It were to be wished, Athenians, that they who speak in public would never suffer hatred or affection to influence their counsels, but in all that they propose be directed by unbiased reason, particularly when affairs of state and those of highest moment are the object of our attention. But since there are persons whose speeches are partly dictated by a spirit of contention, partly by other like motives it is your duty athenians to exert that power which your numbers give you and in all your resolutions and in all your actions to consider only the interest of your country our present concernment is about the affairs of the chersonesus and philip's expedition into thrace which has now engaged him eleven months but most of our orators insist on the actions and designs of diopathes as to crimes objected to those men whom our laws can punish when we please i for my part think it quite indifferent whether they be considered now or at some other time nor is this a point to be violently contested by me or any other speaker but when philip the enemy of our country is now actually hovering about the hellespont footnote by the hellespont mr leland explains in one of his notes that we are here to understand not the strait itself that separates europe from asia but the cities and countries along the coastline in the footnote with a numerous army and making attempts on our dominions which if one moment neglected the loss may be irreparable here our attention is instantly demanded we should resolve, we should prepare with all possible expedition, and not run from our main concern in the midst of foreign clamours and accusations. I have frequently been surprised at assertions made in public, but never more than when I lately heard it affirmed in the Senate that there are but two expedients to be proposed, either absolutely to declare war or to continue in peace. The point is this, if Philip acts as one in amity with us, if he does not keep possession of our dominions contrary to his treaty, if he be not everywhere spiriting up enemies against us, all debates are at an end. We are undoubtedly obliged to live in peace, and I find it perfectly agreeable to you. But if the articles of our treaty, ratified by the most solemn oath, remain on record open to public inspection, if it appears that long before the departure of diopathes and his colony who are now accused of involving us in a war philip had unjustly seized many of our possessions for which i appeal to your own decrees if ever since that time 
He has been constantly arming himself with all the powers of Greeks and barbarians to destroy us. What do these men mean, who affirm we are either absolutely to declare war or to observe the peace? You have no choice at all. You have but one just and necessary measure to pursue, which they industriously pass over. And what is this? To repel force by force, unless they will affirm that while Philip keeps from Attica and the Piraeus, he does our state no injury, makes no war against us. If it be thus they state the bounds of peace and justice, we must all acknowledge that their sentiments are inconsistent with the common rights of mankind, with the dignity and the safety of Athens." besides they themselves contradict their own accusation of diopathies for shall philip be left at full liberty to pursue all his other designs provided he keeps from attica and shall not diopathies be permitted to assist the thracians and if he does shall we accuse him of involving us in a war but this is their incessant cry our foreign troops commit outrageous devastations on the Hellespont. Diopathes, without regard to justice, seizes and plunders vessels. These things must not be suffered. Be it so, I acquiesce. But while they are laboring to have our troops disbanded by inveighing against that man whose care and industry support them, if they really speak from a regard to justice, they should show us that if we yield to their remonstrances, Philip's army also will be disbanded but it is apparent that their whole aim is to reduce the state to those circumstances which have occasioned all the losses we have lately suffered. For be assured of this, that nothing has given Philip such advantage over us as his superior vigilance in improving all opportunities. For as he is constantly surrounded by his troops, and his mind perpetually engaged in projecting his designs, he can in a moment strike the blow where he pleases." But we wait till some event alarms us. Then we are in motion. Then we prepare. To this alone I can impute it that the conquests he has lately made he now enjoys in full security, while all your efforts are too late, all your vast expenses ineffectual. Your attempts have served only to discover your enmity and inclination to oppose him and the consequences of your misconduct are still further aggravated by the disgrace know then athenians that all our orators allege at present are but words but idle pretenses their whole designs their whole endeavours are to confine you within the city that while we have no forces in the field philip may be at full liberty to act as he pleases Consider the present posture of affairs. Philip is now stationed in Thrace, at the head of a large army, and, as we are here informed, sends for reinforcements from Macedon and Thessaly. Now should he watch the blowing of the Etesian winds, march his forces to Byzantium, and invest it? In the first place, can you imagine that the Byzantines would persist in their present folly, or that they would not have recourse to you for assistance i cannot think it no if there were people in whom they less confided than in us they would receive even these into their city rather than give it up to him unless prevented by the quickness of his attack and should we be unable to sail thither should there be no forces ready to support them nothing can prevent their ruin but the extravagance and folly of these men exceed all bounds 
I grant it, yet still they should be secured from danger, for this is the interest of our state. Besides, it is by no means clear that he will not march into the Trusensus itself. On the contrary, if we may judge from the letter which he sent to you, he is determined to oppose us in that country. If then the forces stationed there be still kept up, we may defend our own dominions and infest those of our enemy. If they be once dispersed and broken, what shall we do if he attempt the Trusensus? Bring Diopathes to a trial, and how will that serve us? No, but we will dispatch succors from hence. What if the winds prevent us? But he will not turn his arms thither. Who will be our surety for this? Consider, Athenians, is not the season of the year approaching in which it is thought by some that you are to withdraw your forces from the Hellespont and abandon it to Philip. But suppose, for this too merits our attention, that at his return from Thrace he should neither bend his force against the Chersonesus nor Byzantium, but fall on Calchis or Megara, as he lately did on Orkham, which would be the wiser course to oppose him here and make Attica the seat of war or to find him employment abroad? I think the latter. Let these things sink deep into our minds and let us not raise invidious clamors against those forces which Diopathes is endeavoring to keep up for the service of his country or attempt to break them. Let us rather prepare to reinforce them, grant their general the necessary supplies of money, and in every other instance favor his designs with a hearty zeal. Imagine this question proposed to Philip, which would be most agreeable to you, that the forces commanded by Diopathes, of whatever kind they be, for I shall not dispute on that head, should continue in full strength and good esteem at Athens, and be reinforced by detachments from the city, or that the clamors and invectives of certain persons should prevail to have them broken and disbanded, I think he would choose this latter, and are there men among us laboring for that which Philip would entreat the gods to grant him, and if so, is it still a question whence our distresses have arisen? Let me entreat you to examine the present state of Athens with an unbiased freedom, to consider how we are acting and how our affairs are conducted. We are neither willing to raise contributions, nor do we dare to take the field, nor do we spare the public funds, nor do we grant supplies to Diopathes, nor do we approve of those subsidies he has procured himself. But we malign him, we pry into his designs, and watch his motions." Thus we proceed, quite regardless of our interests, and while in words we extol those speakers who assert the dignity of their country, our actions favor their opposers. It is usual when a speaker rises to ask him, what are we to do? Give me leave to propose the like question to you. What am I to say? For if you neither raise contributions, nor take the field, nor spare the public funds, nor grant subsidies to Diopathes, nor approve of those provisions he has made himself, nor take the due care of our interests, I have nothing to say. If you grant such unbounded license to informers, as even to listen to their accusations of a man for what they pretend he will do, before it yet be done, what can one say? But it is necessary to explain to some of you the effect of this behavior, I shall speak with an undaunted freedom, for in no other manner can I speak. It has been the constant custom of all the commanders who have sailed from this city. If I advance a falsehood, let me feel the severest punishment. To take money from the Chians, and from the Erythraeans, and from any people that would give it. I mean of the inhabitants of Asia. 
they who have but one or two ships take a talent they who command a greater force raise a larger contribution and the people who give this money whether more or less do not give it for nothing they are not so mad no it is the price they pay to secure their trading vessels from rapine and piracy to provide them with the necessary convoys and the like however they may pretend friendship and affection and dignify those payments with the name of free gifts it is therefore evident that as diopathes is at the head of a considerable power the same contributions will be granted to him else how shall he pay his soldiers how shall he maintain them who receives nothing from you and has nothing of his own from the skies no but from what he can collect and beg and borrow so that the whole scheme of his accusers is to warn all people to grant him nothing as he is to suffer punishment for crimes yet to be committed not for any he has already committed or in which he has already assisted this is the meaning of their clamours he is going to form sieges he leaves the greeks exposed have these men all this tenderness for the grecian colonies of asia they then prefer the interests of foreigners to that of their own country this must be the case if they prevail to have another general sent to the hellespont if diopathes commits outrages if he be guilty of piracy one single edict athenians a single edict will put a stop to such proceedings this is the voice of our laws that such offenders should be impeached and not opposed with such vast preparations of ships and money this would be the height of madness it is against our enemies whom the laws cannot touch that we ought we must maintain our forces send out our navies and raise our contributions but when citizens have offended we can decree we can impeach we can recall these are arms sufficient these are the measures befitting men of prudence they who would raise disorder and confusion in the state may have recourse to such as these men propose but dreadful as it is to have such men among us yet the most dreadful circumstance of all is this you assemble here with minds so disposed that if any one accuses diopathes or caries or aristophon or any citizen whatever as the cause of our misfortunes you instantly break forth into acclamations and applause but if a man stands forth and thus declares the truth this is all trifling athenians it is to philip we owe our calamities he has plunged us in these difficulties for had he observed his treaty our state would be in perfect tranquillity this you cannot deny but you hear it with the utmost grief as if it were the account of some dreadful misfortune the cause is this for when i am to urge the interest of my country let me speak boldly certain persons who have been entrusted with public affairs have for a long time past rendered you daring and terrible in council but in all affairs of war wretched and contemptible hence it is that if a citizen subject to your own power and jurisdiction be pointed out as the author of your misfortunes you hear the accusation with applause but if they are charged on a man who must first be conquered before he can be punished then you are utterly disconcerted that truth is too severe to be borne your ministers athenians should take a quite contrary course they should render you gentle and humane in council where the rights of citizens and allies come before you in military affairs they should inspire you with fierceness and intrepidity for here you are engaged with enemies with armed troops 
but now by leading you gently on to their purposes by the most abject compliance with your humours they have so formed and moulded you that in your assemblies you are delicate and attend but to flattery and entertainment in your affairs you find yourselves threatened with extremity of danger and now in the name of heaven suppose that the states of greece should thus demand an account of those opportunities which your indolence has lost men of athens you are ever sending embassies to us you assure us that philip is projecting our ruin and that of all the greeks you warn us to guard against this man's designs and it is too true we have done thus but o oh, most wretched of mankind when this man has been ten months detained abroad when sickness and the severity of winter and the armies of his enemies rendered it impossible for him to return home you neither restored the liberty of eubea nor recovered any of your own dominions but while you sit at home in perfect ease and health if such a state may be called health eubea is commanded by his two tyrants the one just opposite to attica to keep you perpetually in awe the other to skyathus yet you have not attempted to oppose even this no you have submitted you have been insensible to your wrongs you have fully declared that if philip were ten times to die it would not inspire you with the least degree of vigour why then these embassies these accusations all this unnecessary trouble to us if they should say this what could we allege what answer could we give i know not we have those among us who think a speaker fully confuted by asking what then is to be done to whom i answer with the utmost truth and justness not what we are now doing but i shall be more explicit if they will be as ready to follow as to ask advice first then athenians be firmly convinced of these truths that philip does commit hostilities against us and has violated the peace and let us no longer accuse each other of his crimes that he is the implacable enemy of this whole city of the ground on which this city stands of every inhabitant within these walls even of those who imagine themselves highest in his favour if they doubt this let them think of euthycrates and lasthenes the olynthians they who seemed the nearest to his heart the moment they betrayed their country were distinguished only by the superior cruelty of their death but it is against our constitution that his arms are principally directed nor in all his schemes and all his actions has he anything so immediately in view as to subvert it and there is some sort of a necessity for this he knows full well that his conquests however great and extensive can never be secure while you continue free but that if once he meets with any accident and every man is subject to many all those whom he has forced into his service will instantly revolt and fly to you for protection for you are not naturally disposed to grasp at empire yourselves but to frustrate the ambitious attempts of others to be ever ready to oppose usurpation and assert the liberty of mankind this is your peculiar character and therefore it is not without regret that he sees in your freedom a spy on the incidents of his fortune nor is this his reasoning weak or trivial end of chapter nineteen on the state of the chersonsus part one